when did you guys start at Ultrahuman and um, how did you guys met? So we started Ultrahuman around almost two and a half years back. Um, uh, Vatsar and I have known each other for the last uh, uh, 16 years almost uh, because we did our engineering together and uh, uh, we were nowhere close to um, the domain of health or fitness uh, 16 years back. Uh, we were in the engineering college and um, all that we could dream about was uh, computers and the the ability of com- like how can through computing we can like change the world right um but then um, uh, health became like an interesting topic for us a common topic for discussion uh, over the next few years and um, um we we found a business we founded a business called in the logistics space um something sort of like the uh, you can say the parallels of uber into logistics uh, like you have the supply problem and the demand problem and then you do a intelligent supply demand matching to solve the last mile problem that's what we did in logistics in the year 2015 the business was called road runner and um uh, that business eventually got acquired by a company called zomato and uh, so we ran as a part of acquisition we ran their food delivery business so after 7 years of that and a lot of uh, you can say personal journey around health we decided to take a break i went to um, tiger muay thai which is a martial arts camp and i was in touch with vatsal to do something else in life because we wanted to do something else in the world of fitness and health and this seemed like an amazing um, option for us like basically bringing data to the world of health how can biosensors be leveraged to uh, to uh, help people understand more about their health So that's sort of like the um, the backstory around this, yeah. Okay, that's awesome. So you actually built a fantastic success already um, before you started Ultrahuman. Yeah, I, I think it was success in a different domain. Um, we, uh, I think Vatsal can add more to it. Uh, I think there was success for us personally because we wanted to build something that we found we thought was unique. uh essentially it was a last mile delivery service which was very unique because it was crowdsourced uh, we believed in the power of crowdsourcing last mile because we knew that uh crowdsourced workers can benefit from this so there was this business success and there was this technology success which is i think whatsel you yeah. can talk more about like the the problem we always wanted to scale things uh and this was a very hard problem to scale whatsel you can yeah and also also i think uh, of course p- part of the while building that business we ended up employing more than half a million people right so uh, so the problem statement was was so ha- like large um, that 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 you know of course we impacted uh, those people and their families and everyone was employed with us right so it was like you could say you know like few cities were working working around with us right and um, and it was amazing as a as a business problem statement and also as a technology problem statement because we were doing more than 2 million transactions a day right uh, so now so now uh, it's a great journey right where you start from you know nothing and then 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 incrementally scale uh, your platform to be able to support um, such a huge business right so uh, was was amazing while we you know were building it but but of course over the journey we realized that you know health is uh, like the base of all of it right we were building it we were all focused but but of course we would end up you know thinking about that you know there's so much stress you have to you know grow this business we would get back to health right we were like okay if we are healthy then we'll do this better as well right so um so i think the theme kind of converged to the fact that um the world will continue building a lot of products 
but i think we'll have to you know like build a layer which is which is supporting everyone all entrepreneurs everyone in the world needs to have a healthy lifestyle right and that is when you are more productive as well guys it's not funny that uh, my previous business was uh, last mile delivery as well oh. <laughs> that's very <laughs> oh that's amazing send <laughs> We that's, were, crazy. that's crazy it's like together. yeah what's uh, so so if we stay there a bit what um i mean i did so many mistakes in the last mile delivery uh and uh, one of them was like the first mistake i did was like i didn't understand from the beginning what network effects means it's like the whole business is about network effects and i was thinking about it in a linear way um And that was the first mistake I was doing. And then YC speaks a lot about how do you fix this? Who do you go after? I mean, how did you guys, it's like you reached to a, an impressively massive scale with your business there. So how did you, how did you solve this? Uh, did you go to stores, for example, at the beginning? Or did you go to uh, drivers at the beginning? How did you do this? So when we had started, the, the biggest problem was... Um, essentially supply in the market, uh, which was, uh, uh, in, in this case, it was delivery uh, drivers. So delivery drivers uh, had a very high churn rate because it was a very uh, hard thing to do. Like you're on the, your bike for almost uh, eight to 10 hours a day. And uh, it was a really hard thing to do. And we realized that um, for full-time delivery workers, um, if we can improve their efficiency, uh, we will be able to attract much better Uh, delivery talent there and the other thing was if we can make it like a part-time gig um, for a bunch of people like students they will be able to pay their tuition fees uh, because India is an emerging market and a lot of these students drop out because uh, they can't pay their tuition fees so it was for us a combination of these two uh, it started with a supply problem but then to your point the network effects were also massive so as we started we start selling to restaurants like stores that were restaurants because restaurants were very you can say the immediate adopters of last mile delivery um, because they get got the uh, urgency problem, right? Which is basically delivery within 30 minutes. Um, so from a restaurant's perspective, the network effects were uh, something that we also took a lot of time to understand because for network effects, we needed density. And for density, we needed to hire ahead of time uh, before even demand came in. And that always uh, sort of like meant that you will lose money till a certain point in time before you can show economics. So that was the harder, uh, we used to joke about it and call, call it like these uh, mount, this is a mountain of cash that you have to cross to, before you can make a business out of it. And it turned out to be a valley of cash, right? So there was a mountain and then there's like a plateau and then there was another mountain because every new locality is a new mountain. So yeah. That was it. And did you concentrate on specific areas like high density at the at the beginning or did you go broader? Yeah, we, we did. I think in the beginning we did concentrate on extremely high dense areas, density areas. But then there were there's one another nuance to this business in case of India was that when you enter a locality, even if it is not dense, uh, you end up owning the locality. Right. So there is a first comer advantage because you're a new service. And there was nobody else. So we had to balance between uh, being only in dense areas that are hyper-competitive already and being in new areas that are non-competitive so you can win. The non-competitive areas will make you lose a lot of money because A, when you enter, um, you have to create demand. 
B, when competition comes in in that area, you have to fight that competition. So, um, so it is sort of like a, a interesting chess game for some time. Yeah. How do you win over the competition in that sense? Is like, is it uh, by more people looking at you in the streets, or is it what what did what was your differentiation with? So our biggest differentiator was to make the delivery experience for the driver, the delivery executive, as seamless as possible, which was basically um, uh, you don't need to go to a center to get trained. You can get trained on your phone. Uh, you don't need to go to a center to collect your money. Uh, it all gets transferred to you and that to same day. Um, uh, so basically you have dispo- like whenever you want to earn some money, you can just do five jobs or like five gigs and basically uh, you'll make your money for the day. Um, and uh, you don't need to do basically go to a center. Um, you don't need to basically let go of your existing education or the job that you're doing. So make it like super convenient. That was sort of like a differentiator. We were uh, for a long, long time a driver's platform. Like drivers used to love us uh, because of the flexibility uh, that we provided. Uh, we were, I think, the first one to probably one of the first ones. There were a few others as well to actually do. Uh, flexible per order payouts so you could get paid on every order um, and um, uh, the more orders you do obviously you get paid more and uh, you have a choice to actually do like maybe even one order as well every day so, yeah. Um, yeah. so that was sort of like like flexibility yeah, so- was the biggest win yeah Correct. And also, also in India, I think the culture wasn't, uh, uh, back in the day, hadn't built as much, right? People were always full-time employees to a firm and they would work for eight hours. But I think what we got in was uh, was flexible for students, for people who were already, let's say, doing a job, day job, and they, they had free time in the night, um, right? So kind of uh, made it a very, very, uh, you know, flexible uh, work timings. I think people kind of loved that. Um, and a and, and lot of, uh, you know, uh, even... Uh, people who are in the forces joined us, right? They, uh, they, they, those guys are also free. So they're like, okay, you know, we can spend a few hours um, during during uh, you know rush hours to deliver and all of that. So it was it was a uh, you know like a fun time. Mm. And then with 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 so many people in the company, how were you you thinking about the culture? How could you actually manage so many people? Culture is a very hard one. Uh, I think the I can tell you the things that uh, really worked for us and maybe some that didn't work as well. Um, from a culture perspective, I think the thing that worked really well for us was the fact that um, when we uh, when we work with the the um, you can say the delivery drivers in the equation, they are the ones where we're creating the most social impact, uh, and this social impact. The culture around social impact is what we wanted to build our culture as well, right? Which is basically that the work that you're doing is not just to make more money, but also to ensure that millions of people, like almost like uh, at our peak, we had like half a million people employed and then millions of people uh, in their families. Uh, millions of people are able to uh, work comfortably and uh, um, basically um, uh, sort of like realize the life that they want to live. Um, so that is the mission association that we wanted to create. And for that, uh, the best way to do it was for people to actually live the life of a delivery driver as well sometimes. So basically go out to the ground, um, do your deliveries yourself, understand the challenges yourself. I think that was uh, that is one thing that helped, worked a fair bit in our favor. The other thing that I would say worked well was 
and we we did make some mistakes earlier but then eventually we fixed it was to have a very lean team uh, structure mm. so um the larger the team harder it is to maintain scale uh, maintain culture um so our journey goes something like this that initially we had this definition of an organization which is um you hire like one person for every type of responsibility you built up a bloated organization and then you somehow make the culture work which didn't work by the way so what we learned it the hard way and we had to make some really painful decisions along the way as well but eventually we arrived at a very lean organization where uh, for everybody there was enough interesting work and the work and the organization was not built on only structuring exercise but on the basis of need of the work that was there for example if today our growth engine wasn't social media i don't need to hire a social media manager just because it's a new demand stream i can i should only hire when there is enough good quality of work available for the social media manager till then uh, any other team member can pick it up i can pick it up right um so that's the sort of culture that we evolved to and i think that helped us a fair bit because then we understood that um i think people are not pe- people care about the quality of work that they're doing that's what we realized and just like all of us right we care about the quality of work that we're doing that's why we started a new business so yeah. um so i think that that understanding helped us a lot mm mm it's um it's it's very interesting because uh i think it's the journey of a startup when you are very early it's much more generalists that really drive the business and then the more people uh that you need the more people that uh when you need to scale you can transition to specialists but it's exactly the example you are saying is like everybody can touch um something um to to create content for example or to be to do the social media and to do even the the everyday thing is like there is one delivery nobody can do it let's just go and do it uh, ourselves and then um it's um when when there is needs then you get people uh to be doing that work so yeah that makes uh, that makes yeah. fantastic sense yeah. so it's like and then you guys reach to some of the one of the biggest companies in the world in this space uh and you make an exit to them how how did this happen did they approach you did you approach them what's what's the process here it was a sales conversation um it started with so when we uh, when we eventually transitioned to a lean organization um we we were uh, all of us were spending a lot of time selling the business i mean not not selling the business i mean uh selling the product essentially right so uh we used to do all of our sales meetings ourselves um and i i i was there in every sales meeting so uh in this conversation i i meet up with zomato uh, the founder and we were trying to basically talk about that um i was just telling them about like how we have had such a journey where we were a bloated organization and now we have leaned down but now we are focused and uh, we are burning very little money and we have we have this mindset of surviving forever right and because we are burning very little money and we are focused on increasing the revenue and building the business from here so the founder basically said that oh i've had a very similar journey myself and um, uh, looks like we have very similar dna uh, in terms of like thinking about the business and given that zomato Uh, was launching a food delivery business in a big way back then in 2017 and there was natural synergy because we wanted to fulfill their deliveries um what started as a integration partnership emerged into a merger so it was very natural one um 
it's very easy to work with their team they also found it pr- pretty much easier to work with us because we're doing something new we're not we didn't have much overlaps as well um and at the same time um we felt that uh, given that they have a similar journey of uh, being bloated uh, then sort of like becoming lean again and then thinking from ground up they could understand all the challenges and the pain that we have gone through as an organization yeah Mm. And and how did you guys decide? Uh, did you said uh, it's um, it's a very good offer, or was it because they were able to scale something you built? How how did you decide as founders uh, between you? It is a very good synergy, and I think Atul can talk through the second part of it. From I can talk from my perspective that it is very good synergy because it was A plus B, uh, which is basically the. A is their own. Zomato had one of the largest uh, traffic channels around uh, uh, food seekers in the world. People looking for restaurants and people trying to order food. And what we had was a fulfillment service. So none of us actually overlapped in terms of what we could do. So from an A plus B, it was very very mathematically sound that um, if we combine these two capabilities, uh, you end up creating something that is much more superior, much more. Uh, exponent like you can say a plus b is not equal to is actually equal to like uh, like multiple times of a plus b so uh, it's sort of like we had this multiplier effect um and as founders i think uh, obviously the natural reaction was to not sell because uh, we had just arrived at this mindset that um that uh, let's let's build forever if you build forever you will arrive somewhere you'll end up adding value So what is the hurry? But at the same time, we found that there is this amazing opportunity to scale the business. Like whatever we have built, uh, we can take it from a million transactions a month uh, to maybe like sixty million transactions a month. And exactly that's what happened. Uh, we took it to say sixty, seventy million transactions a month. Uh, we couldn't have even wow. imagined it. Yeah, yeah. So you actually went from one million transactions a month to seventy, seven zero. So at at our peak, wow. we were doing like close to two. Plus million transactions a day. Uh, This is totally incredible. It's unbelievable. It's a huge technology and a data yeah. problem. I think, Vasil, you can add a little yeah. bit more about it, like in terms of complexity. Yeah. It is. I know. It's pretty amazing because, like, whatever we could and, imagine. And, and, yeah. And and that is one of the reasons that that you know we we kind of were excited about uh, this uh, this acquisition journey also because we knew that with with this uh, you know two companies combined we would get this problem to solve as well right otherwise uh, we knew that okay we'll be a small but impactful you know company and we'll let's say survive forever but uh, but but combining hands with a very very large demand generator what happens is you have Uh, such a beautiful problem to solve as well, right? Be it uh, from a data standpoint, be it from a transaction standpoint, uh, right? You have to build hundred systems to support your current system, um, right? So we we wanted to see that journey, and and I think uh, uh, like that that's where we felt synergy. That it was not like okay, we'll be there in the system, but not creating impact, uh, right? But uh, but this was like impact from day one. We knew that if we have to build an extremely large business along with them. It it had to be together, right? It had it had to be a true uh, integration of of teams plus technology plus everything. So, so yeah, incredible, incredible. And then, how did uh, did the idea of uh, Ultrahuman come on the table? So, post Zomato, uh, the food delivery journey, um, 
I took a break and went to this camp, martial arts camp called Tiger Muay Thai. It's in Thailand, mm-hmm. um, where uh, uh, you can train like Muay Thai uh, seven, eight, ten hours a day. Uh, they were some of the really, really badass folks um, showing up there, uh, training for uh, UFC fights and uh, one championship fights. Um, you basically have on one side there's the beach side and then there's the mountain side. So you wake up, just run up the mountain and basically um like walk down the mountain and sort of like train for six seven eight hours so wow yeah that's sort of like a very um uh you can say deeply integrated martial arts experience so that's where i spent a lot of time um it's like did you do martial arts before going there yeah i was actually pretty pretty much into brazilian jiu-jitsu so yeah. um yeah it, i mean really passionately uh, follow the likes of Hicks and Gracie Marcelo Garcia um big fan obviously um and uh, uh, their philosophy as well as of course their their level of skill and their ability to win almost everything out there so so basically went there uh, and all we used to talk about like Vatsal and I used to talk about like what could we do next because i will come back from the camp i can't stay at the camp forever and um, um and we used to talk about like what are the things that we could do uh, and uh, vatsal was deeply into crossfit in india which i uh, like for a long longest time i found like crossfit guys were like uh, masochists because they just love pain uh, <laughs> yeah as it's like it's like both of us are anti camps uh, he he doesn't like uh, you know like going aggressive and lifting heavy all the time in a time manner he like this, this is not even a workout why why do you why do you need to do this and and and, and he's he's like all skill and and you know technique and, and so yeah it's a different school of thoughts but but i think yep. the the outcome yeah is what we wanted wanted to drive so we we basically uh, okay we started talking about all sorts of business ideas that we could build like uh, the, i think I, if i remember right at one point in time we were discussing building like a uh, like a highly uh, secure uh, video calling application as well uh, called cosmos uh you also gave it a name about the domain uh then we basically uh were sort of like looking at different types of marketplaces but you know all of our conversations uh, like our two hour long calls used to end with like what can we do in the sp- uh, space of health because that's where the personal interest was and uh, uh so i had been a cyclist and a super entrepreneur uh, before that and into martial arts um uh, whatsel was into crossfit for a longest time and into like deeply into uh, like the the, uh, the the sports of crossfit and sort of like there was this natural synergy to do something in the world of sports and performance and sci- and, and and health healthcare science and um at the camp i was also seeing a lot of athletes uh, using different types of methods like uh, tracking their biomarkers to improve their health so as a combination of these three things we finally said that oh why sh- why shouldn't we do something why wouldn't we do something that's very close to what we uh how how we want to live our lives instead of basically trying to think of something as a business idea and that was the moment where we flipped and basically said like okay let's let's build what we like and that's how ultrahuman was born yeah that's perfect you know because uh, when you do what you like it's not the work anymore it's like um i i see it from my perspective and it's um i've been into this space for 15 years my brain revolves around training bodybuilding weightlifting nutrition all the time sleep i was buying all those wearables all over the time and it's just 
when your brain revolves around these things all the time, it's just, you don't really work. You just produce value while you do the things you like. So that's, uh, that's really great. Then yeah. what was the first step you guys did? It's like, you said, I'm going to, we're going to do this idea. Um, how does someone start? So the first step was to uh, try out different biomarkers ourselves. So we obviously uh, were very fascinated by uh, the HRV biomarker because of the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve tone that you can measure with HRV. Um, so that was one. Um, we were very fascinated with uh, sleep and sleep zones, uh, like different types of uh, sleep zones, like slow wave sleep and its correlation with uh, your cognitive abilities and your REM sleep and its ability to uh, like demarcate recovery for you all of those things and um, looking at other biomarkers like skin temperature looking at other biomarkers uh, around uh, let's say uh, your insulin in the body and eventually glucose as well like glucose was sort of like a proxy to measure insulin response so between all of these biomarkers when we were looking at like we put on a cgm ourselves we put on the hrv meter through i think whoop was the one of the first ones and then aura um, what we realized was that uh, between all the biomarkers that we were using, all of these are like amazing companies. Uh, but at the same time, um, the glucose biomarker was the one that really sort of like uh, was in a, in a way we got instantly hooked into it. I remember the, the moment that when we were trying the product out, um, we used to talk about it almost like every couple of hours that, oh, I did this and this is how my glucose changed. Uh, did you see this? this was our conversation forever and we were like wow we are like i mean this could make health really really interesting for people because um, what most people do from a health perspective is like take a blood test every three months and that's very very boring and they're very very non-actionable as well and if you can make it very very interactive and give people feedback on their food because like, if you look at the overall like if you look at 100 people probably 20 or 30 people um, work out uh, in a significant way uh, maybe in India, that number is 10, right? Uh, not many people work out, but everybody eats. So um, essentially everybody eats, right? So if a wearable can give them feedback on what they're eating, impact will be much larger. Um, and uh, it will also be very, very personalized because then you can see the glucose response from an individual's, uh, like based on in individual stress levels, uh, microbiome, et cetera. So that's why we, when we got hooked into the glucose variable ecosystem, uh, we start building deeper uh, through from a glucose uh, variable ecosystem as well. I think at that point in time, uh, Super Sapiens was emerging in Europe. Uh, we had just heard of Levels as well. I think they had just announced that they're going to build something in this space as well. So it was really interesting because uh, both of these were like really fascinating founders, amazing concepts and amazing companies. So yeah, that, that was the reason. You know, it's... Um... Two topics we can touch here is the first one is the um, how real-time data and how uh, consistent data sampling is going to totally change the space. Uh, and one example is the glucose sensor. And then the second one is the specifics of glucose. Um, the one I always have in mind is like when I was uh, very deep into looking what the bodybuilders are doing and what the cyclists are doing to optimize their performance, it always comes down to insulin. And if you know the best way to optimize your insulin levels by the way you eat, um, and obviously there is a lot of performance enhancing here as well, 
but by optimizing your insulin levels, you can improve um, for any athletic event. Yeah. And that can be, you can radically improve your cycling performance. You can radically improve your uh, muscle gain. You can rapidly improve like so many things. And by looking at the data of glucose, when the first time I got the glucose monitor as well, I was like, wow, it's actually giving me access all the time at my glucose. Hence, I can deduce my insulin. And then I can take a rate of change of the graph and make so many more deductions, right? And then all of those years, we had those glycemic index tables and all that. And I always had the glycemic index in front of me. But when I was using the glucose monitor, I was looking at the, the, the reaction of my body and it was so different, right? So it's like, it's so individual, uh, the, the nutrition of, of, of each person that your glucose is like, I might did like uh, something with high carbohydrates, like um, uh, a pineapple, for example, and my um, blood response, my blood sugar response is going to be so different than yours. And it's, it's, it's so crazy. So when I saw the sensor as well, I was very, very uh, impressed by it. And, and then uh, I think you guys reached out to, to start working with Terra as well. And uh, I saw what we guys were doing. I was like, wow. This is one of the things that can really, really change this space of um, of nutrition for good. Yeah, no, I think it's a, the first thing that people, uh, what happens uh, usually is that it's a surprise and an awe expression, which is a um, lot of myths around food actually get broken. Uh, I can add a couple and I think Watson, you can add a couple as well from your side. So well, the, the couple that I've seen are things like a lot of people think that home food is extremely healthy. Um, and uh, the the notion of healthy is defined by what the source of the food is, which is not totally wrong sometimes, right? But by the, the way, just to, just to intervene there, I just saw, I think Vatsal, it was your your post yesterday, and you posted that um, I'm eating healthy fruits. <laughs> but here's my glucose <laughs> response. I was like, yeah, everybody says fruits are healthy, but just look at my glucose levels. <laughs> It's fascinating because we walk, walk into a supermarket uh, and we were doing this study just like we just reached Abu Dhabi and we, we walked into a supermarket a couple of days back and uh, uh, we walked into a food section like it was a snack section essentially and uh, we were trying to measure the labels and almost 40% of all foods available there had a healthy tag uh, irrespective of the food type like there were potato wafers com- companies essentially claiming this as healthy there were uh, companies selling candy, uh, claiming this as high in uh, like immunity improving and healthy. So this healthy tag, unfortunately, has been overused and over abused to some extent. And uh, it's very hard and confusing for anybody, right? Um, anybody who's actually has good intention to actually eat healthy, when they step into a supermarket, it's very confusing because like, like 100 companies are telling you that this is healthy and this is not. So the only way you can figure this out now is to look at your own individual response because you don't really know who's telling you the truth and who's not. At the same time, you have bio-individuality, which is um, you might react to different foods, different starches differently. Uh, The amount of amylase that you have uh, essentially in your saliva could be very different from other people. So all of that makes a huge ton of a difference. The ones that I've seen are around home food that most people think that high-carb home food is okay because it's home food 
So that myth gets broken. We get so some user sends us a message that, hey, I think your sensor is broken because I just ate a, a ton of uh, rice and a little bit of lentils and basically felt like this was high protein. And we were like, no, this is, this is definitely high carbs and it should spike your glucose. So this is not wrong. The second one is uh, common myths like jaggery versus sugar. So um, a lot of jaggery companies market themselves as, oh, it's not sugar, so it's healthy for you, which is not true. Like it's, it's almost sugar. There is a little bit of a difference. Uh, because the glucose response of jaggery is going to be almost similar to to what you're going to get from sugar. So uh, a lot of diabetic people actually end up switching to jaggery thinking that it is healthy. So it's a lot of mis-selling, to be honest. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I think Vatsal would have an and amazing I, set of, yeah, yeah. examples of that. Also, also I think, I think uh, uh, how we you know have evolved as, 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 as folks, right? Uh, healthy, like, uh, food that was healthy, let's say uh, 20 years back, might not be healthy today because... You know, we, we've changed, our lifestyle has changed, right? All of us are sitting and we are talking in front of, 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 our, of our machines, right? So we don't move as much. Um, so, so I think healthy in itself as a food is evolving, right? If you don't move at all, then you can't eat, you, you know, like a very high carb diet, right? But if you are, let's say, active, you are, you know, someone who's running uphill, uh, like Mohit used to, then then you definitely can, right? You it'll give you the energy to actually perform, right? If you are a athlete, then then you can you know kind of eat a lot more because you need that energy, right? So I think I think it's the balance that uh, that that everyone is looking out for, right? And and it cannot be a blog post. You can't just read something and say, oh, blueberry is great for me, and that is what will fix my you know lifestyle. Uh, it, it's not that simple, right? All of us are are are, are very very uh, like individualistic, and 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 we need to understand, you know, what is great for us, right? It's a very very dynamic answer. Even for for my mom, dad, it'll be different. For me, it'll be different. My siblings, it'll be different. Um, so so, so yeah. it's a complicated answer. Yeah, I think it really. When I think about this, I just always like to go back to the first principles and and see what is the hormonal response in everything. What's my testosterone response to something I'm doing? What's my insulin response to something I'm doing? How is my uh, HGH correlate with all this, right? So if you start building from that foundation of the hormonal foundation of the body, then you can think of it in much better terms. And by tracking with a sensor, then you can really understand the first principles of your hormones there and then uh, you can make your own deductions, right? In, in your point about um, labels, um, it's just, I'm just taking so many uh, labels nowadays and it's, um, you get a, a, a juice and the juice says there is no added sugar, but that's so misleading because it has sugar, but they don't add more sugar. That's what it says. But you, when you read it, you don't really, we, you don't really yeah. concentrate on it and, and you get it. so many people are drinking uh, so many fruit juices but at the end of the day if you actually look at your insulin response it's so so different uh, than the reality yeah in fact it happened to me uh, like a few days back right I, I bought a, a, a big tub of uh, creatine uh, because of course it's a healthy supplement that, that is what we're supposed to have um, and, and and just yeah <laughs> yeah it, it cl- classified no sugar and everything I don't know what but but just one small scoop of that uh, that supplement, um, you know, rose my glucose to such an healthy level that that even if it has you know one percent of uh, of let's say benefit in my body, it's gonna have ninety nine percent of detrimental effects, right? So even if let's say a, a bodybuilder is trying to you know have that supplement, 
he might just be able to build a little more muscle but but the damage the inflammation that that thing will cause in the body will be long lasting right uh, so even even for some professional athletes it's a, it's a it's a powerful tool any which way right i mean even if you want to perform you want to live long as well right you want to be able to reduce your inflammation right that's something that you cannot take an, as an answer uh, it has to be a balance of of you know your performance to your inflammation right and 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 and, and that tub was is thrown out because i knew when well, looking at my data i understand i can't have it uh, and, and it's that real time in nature yeah yeah exactly and then guys where is ultra human today um how how does the product look and uh, what's the reception and uh, where are you guys with ultra human yeah so today uh, from a product perspective right now what we tell you is uh, your glucose response in uh, in response to food uh, exercise uh, stress sleep and thanks to you um, we're coming up with correlations with all different variables uh, based on um, essentially uh, like uh, the the aura integration or the whoop integration or the eight sleep integration all of that uh, thanks to terra and thanks to you i think we have been able to uh, integrate on the platform which is yet like due to go live now i think it will be a fascinating and a game changing experience for people because the fact that you could visualize all your data streams into one is very different from just looking at one stream of data because uh, to be honest if you just look at your glucose uh, it's one metric optimized right it is a very rich stream of metric like glucose variability can tell you about oxidative stress average glucose can tell you about insulin resistance state probably sometimes and your time and target can tell you like essentially your zones but it's still one stream of information it's glucose metabolization but then uh, it's in combination with your uh, basically your Uh, your level of recovery the sleep that you're getting the activity that you're getting that becomes like a complete and a holistic system um and uh, uh, i think that's what the biggest push for the longest time has been um like in terms of going deeper into being able to correlate um the glucose response and different type of health activities or different type of activities that people do um as you would have seen like Uh, over the uh, over the last few months we have tried to create vertical versions of glucose algorithms like for example we have a, a glucose version for glucose algorithm for longevity uh, we have a glucose uh, algorithm version for uh, uh, focus and we have a version for oh wow for, yeah so you can measure your focus on the basis of glucose uh, we measure crashes and variations we in longevity we measure something called the circadian alignment so um if you've uh, there are a bunch of books in this space around the, like one of the books is circadian code like how uh, basically uh, food and light are two strong sim- symbols to the body a uh, signals to the body around when we should be up and when should we should be asleep and if you can fix one you can fix the other one as well um so the circadian code algorithm the circadian algorithm actually um uh, takes care of some of those factors and and more and tells you like how glucose opt- i how can you optimize your glucose levels for better longevity and then there is an athletic vector which tells you about like how well fueled you were for your activities as you mentioned al- already that glucose could be a great zone 3 fuel uh, as as we see and um, so that's been the focus um, integration vertical versions of uh, glucose interpretations uh, and of course um, uh, i think we we probably haven't talked about it this in most public forums but we are also coming up with our own hardware um uh, wow yeah yeah it's which is set to go live in the next few weeks uh so we should be able to talk about it, it measures more biomarkers 
basically more recovery and uh, movement biomarkers but different from the existing ones like essentially the different from the existing biomarkers available in the market so, you build your own hardware that measures more biomarkers yes that's correct we guys need to do an integration on terra <laughs> of course <laughs> of course 100% <laughs> guys this is uh, this is crazy so it's like at the current state if i'm an athlete i can choose Uh, that I'm an athlete and you can give me recommendations for my glucose, or if I want to concentrate on my uh, um, longevity, you can give me uh, these type of recommendations. Then is this is all around and it's all centered around my glucose responses and how am I, am I as an individual and where am I concentrated in? And then you are now launching with um, with Terra all the biomarkers, so you are accessing more and more data. from my eight sleep mattress and my oraring and my garmin watch and you are accessing more and more biomarkers to create um so much better understanding of the customers and then give them so much better recommendations i think like that's where we should be right so i have all of my i have all of, all of my sleep data from my garmin for example and i have all my nutrition data from my my fitness pal but it's just I have the information sitting there. I don't know what to do with it. But then you guys combine it and then you tell me exactly what to do. And it's like, it's, it's, it's exactly what, uh, what we needed all that time. Yeah. Because no, I think, I think, I think yeah. Uh, yeah, I think just to add, I think, uh, the problem with data is that, uh, that there is no actionability to it. Uh, it's kind of useless, right? So if you see heart rate, um, uh, as a data stream, it's, it's just raw data, right? Most, most platforms capture it, but. But what do you do with it until you figure that there is a chance of arterial fibrillation on top of it? There's no theoretical value of, of a marker, right? For example, okay, someone's measuring uh, your SpO2. Now, if SpO2 is not real time, it, you're not able to figure when, when your oxygen level is dipping and, and probably there's an issue with your breathing. Um, there's no, you know, there's no, uh, there's nothing you can do with that data. You're just looking at it. You're like, okay, it's, it's 90 now. I don't know what to do. uh you know i, I think the insights are something that um, that that is the power right that is what kind of drives uh the value of data right and and i think that that is what we want to do as well that glucose data is 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 data right but until you build algorithms on top of it until you can change lifestyle on top of it there's no theoretical value of that data yeah yeah it's a as you mentioned already the combination of metrics is significantly more powerful than a metric in individual right in, in a metric in in uh, a metric alone right because um, you can understand how um, why this metric changed like for example your glucose your glucose metabolization um, is not just affected by the food that you eat food is definitely a large part of it but then uh, the existing levels of your cortisol also affect that your um, insulin sensitivity because of your uh, activity levels and your uh, sleep sufficiency or deficiency also affects that right so um, what we know today via the glucose monitoring system is uh, is how your body is metabolizing glucose that's what we know but yeah. uh, why is it metabolizing the way it is metabolizing that we don't know today and with these future upgrades onto the platform uh, thanks to you and uh, our upcoming hardware as well i think we'll be able to derive more uh actionables for people uh the idea is to really figure out the lowest hanging fruit like like basically for every individual there there would be a low hanging fruit of health like basically for some people 
who don't want to go to a gym and who don't want to basically push themselves too hard maybe their lowest hanging fruit is to walk after every meal maybe it's just that yeah. or to prepare their last meal basically eat within a window or maybe get uh, enough uh, let's say uh, maybe something as um uh, uh, something as specific as getting 30 minutes of zone 2 every day to ensure that their cortisol levels are managed and essentially they get enough amount of uh like essentially enough uh, work in so that they the health is moving in the right direction so all of that yeah. Too, right yeah i mean i have the i have a, uh, an example i just uh, checked my phone now and uh, we had um, we had um the ceo of eight sleep the other day doing a podcast as well uh, it's a company i really like as well and we yesterday i had a late meal right so it's like a very big late meal it was a big cheat and i was sleeping on the eight sleep mattress and i wake up today and i just got my notification and the and it mentions that my heart rate is 11% higher than usually because of that meal i'm like i would never know if my data were were uh, higher and it, that there is such correlation with my my food if um if you guys were not showing this and if uh eight sleep was not showing this and if it's like we are uh, getting into an era that we see data in a very different way and i think it's just so much more important than what what most uh people realize because all of those times we had uh static data right uh you would go to your doctor and you would see your um uh, i don't know your glucose levels once every 3 months now yeah. you see your glucose like 24/7 You see your yeah. deep sleep cycles 24/7. You see your um I don't know even blood pressure now with the Samsung with Samsung wearables and um um you see your full respiration, you see your full um uh it's like all of your activities on a daily basis and all of your biomarkers on a daily basis on a on a real time curve. So it's like this type of data you can use machine learning and developers can use so many tools to give give us so much better understanding it's like it's just so exciting to be in this space yeah it's it's fascinating think, yeah yeah mm-hmm. so i i i just finish uh, once yeah. i think uh, yeah the i'm really excited about the fact that when you had to in like few years back when you want to um prove a correlation you had to prove this in a lab right and yep. uh, you get a few people you make them wear your devices and it's a controlled environment uh, you prove a correlation you come up with a theory um that's it right broadly but it takes years and years because you have to basically uh, invest in the infra uh, essentially um uh, create the, that environment it's sort of like a trial right whereas now with millions of people on the variable you can run the largest data science lab health data science lab in the world um, yep and create such great in lifestyle interventions for people uh, this will be the biggest revolution in um, in you can say lifestyle medicine uh, since the dawn of medicine ever mm. and also mm. also i think because of this real time data you are always uh, very close to to the problem in itself right for example like you're saying that you gave an example of uh, you ate late and you saw the impact of it right you you it will always be in your head even when you eat tomorrow let's say you're eating late you will know that the, the impact is is going to be is going to be bad on your body right so you you will actually stop doing it consciously just because you saw the impact right so the impact measurement becomes 
because become so evident and 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 you don't have to wait for years to kind of you know the problem to creep in and then you fix it right so i think preventive healthcare is is going to change just because of you know the data that is available today and the interventions that we can we as platforms can you know bring into people's lives yeah i think the it's the fact that we are moving to having all that data we're moving into a point that we can be predictive rather than reactive in the event right so it's like you can know like 10 years in in 10 years if you continue doing what you're doing you're going to have this disease and um and it doesn't happen all of a sudden right so it's like it's going to change health from the hospital to your daily routine so it's uh it's 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 a crazy space to be in uh, but yeah. but guys where um just uh, to touch a bit on this as well um we've seen you raised a fantastic fundraising round uh, a, a lot of friends that are seeing this podcast they are in the early stages how did you approach it and then how can they learn from your approach in fundraising and uh, yeah yeah so currently uh, just to tell you uh, we are uh, we have raised two rounds of investments one is a um, one essentially was a 7.5 million dollar round uh, led by nexus ventures and bloom ventures and second one was a series a uh, uh, led by uh, falconet stedview capital and nexus and bloom also did their prorata So in total, uh, the second round was seventeen and a half million dollars. So in total, we have raised twenty-five million dollars, and um, uh, we have somewhere close to right now around fifty thousand plus people in the wait list, um, and uh, still growing um, in terms of basically, I, I think around three to five thousand people getting added every week. What we have seen that has worked really well for us is the fact that whenever we ship out invites to people, and we are rolling out invites in batches because we are still in private beta. we're learning from every new invite that goes out and we work with every new user who gets the invite um so um what we learned is that um for the first time in their life people are talking about health in an extremely open way um when somebody is diabetic they don't want to basically talk about it openly right but we are making glucose monitoring cool for people so people can put the response of the response of their uh macchiato and cappuccino on the, the twitter feed and basically say that oh this is the response that i got between macchiato and cappuccino these are the two different types of responses and it's it's a, it's a trivial thing but the thing is that it is creating acceptance uh, around people tracking biomarkers and i'm telling you this because this is the story that we actually um, this is the story that we uh, have also pitched to our investors and our people that uh if we make health easy and uh, acceptable by people then it's not just a few biohackers and few uh, you can say nerds who will actually use the product it'll be everyone because everyone everyone eats like that's as simple as that not like yes 20% of people go to the gym but everybody in the world eats everybody wants to improve there's there only a few like maybe like almost everyone wants to live a better quality of life and if this can give them a way to improve their life um and sort of like uh, and we and because we can add more and more data sources on top by uh, like partnering with folks like you i think that in the next 5 years from from now we will have one of the most evolved um you can say uh, rec- health recommendation engine in the world and one of the largest um uh, preventive data sources uh, on the planet for the people that we have um so 
all inventions and discoveries around lifestyle can potentially happen on the platform so that's the story to our uh, to our investors from a pure execution perspective uh, i think the seed was pretty much on conviction so um, it was basically on the thesis that eventually uh, people would uh, would would um, invest in their preventive health people would be more proactive with their health that was the hypothesis in series a the hypothesis was the or, or the uh, the reason why series a happened was because of early traction around the wait list um and um, uh, i think one advice to new health tech folks would be that given the f- the space moves at a much slower pace um if you can't show revenue traction faster maybe show some traction like in our case it was the wait list uh, where uh, essentially if people want the product but we can't ship it fast enough because uh, there are some healthcare regulations and we have to do necessary integrations before we can scale um then at least we displayed some demand intent from people and some uh, positive uh, user feedback via on our social media as well as uh, the emails that mm-hmm. we get from people so that's the only thing that we focused on um and it and initially we were trying to justify from a numbers and revenue perspective like when we started pitching but then uh, that conversation versus talking through a waitlist number and a, a user love perspective i think the investors who got the second part uh, uh, sort of like moved faster in our case uh, and because we were more focused as well by then um, because we just wanted to focus on saying that uh, we, are, we have not scaled our revenue but we have user love and we have user interest so that uh, focus in a pitch helped us in a significant way and that would be one advice yeah. i would say that you, if your pitch is focused then you end up obviously filtering out a set of investors but the ones that work with you are going to be for you for some be with you for some time and they'll probably be the ones supporting you yeah i mean also also just to add i think what we also did was um you know made sure that a lot of folks are part of our journey so of course early version of the platform you know they had access they they tried it and then we continued improving it and 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 they were also part of that journey right so so the conviction doesn't come on day one right anyone like if, if i tell you want to launch a rocket it can't happen on day one right it will take you to build uh, you know one one uh, place one nutbolt first right so so we we kind of you know iterated aggressively on the product continued building it continued you know getting user love right and 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 automatically people see that okay you know they, this is going to become you know a large success at some point maybe not today maybe a few years out but 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 of course like even investors are users right especially for us it's it's a uh, they were the first adopters if you ask me because they they really care about longevity um, and and they want to improve their uh, productivity as a whole uh, right so for us for it was relevant but i think keeping them in the loop about your journey about you know challenges that you're facing has has really helped so they also understood you know what are the challenges of working in uh, in the healthcare space and and what are the things that are working for the user what things don't work what things sell what don't sell so so yeah yeah it's it it seems like as as long as you're building something people want you just need to be conveying that uh when you speak to investors right and then um at the same time you need to convey the vision how big this can become and uh it it sounds like this is exactly how it um you guys approached it so it's uh it's really awesome to see um last question before we go by the way um wanted to to make it double question because you mentioned the hardware before is there um 
any biomarkers of the hardware you're building that you can speak about? And then uh, can you give us, um, what do you guys think the future of our space is? The, the obvious one that uh, we are uh, working on uh, is a more nuanced recovery biomarker that works on your HRV, that looks at your HRV, also your temperature, because temperature mm -hmm. is also like a, a nice uh, indicator in terms of um, how the recovery cycles of your body work. Uh, so it's sort of be like a new recovery algorithm or a new uh, readiness algorithm that we are bringing to the market. And because we also have the glucose view, you can understand that from a glucose response perspective as well. So that would be, and then we are trying out a bunch of new uh, experimental ones as well that where uh, the science is still bleeding edge right now. Uh, it's, it's still not uh, very, very much uh, open. Like the few ones that we can potentially like talk about are if potentially you could measure your light exposure, right? Um, yeah. Like how much of uh, how much of uh, blue light versus how much of um, like basically at what point in time in your day basically you get X amount of blue light, right? Uh, via light sensors, if we can detect that, and because we know that there is a correlation between the the type of light that people get and uh, their melatonin cycles, uh, we could basically figure out the sleep quality problem and the correlation with the type of light that people get and the type of sleep that people get. So that could, that you could say could be another one. Yeah, I've never uh, probably it's the first time I hear about um, a device that measures blue light. It wouldn't be so, so difficult to build, but it's just so strong correlation with your circadian rhythm, right? So as long as you are looking at blue light before you sleep, for example, it's just impossible to sleep. I usually have my uh, PC to just shut shut down the blue light after six o'clock every every day yeah. um, but this is a very interesting approach it's a really really interesting approach yeah i mean you can feel those metrics right i mean it's a even though it's still bleeding edge there are so many uh it does require a lot of research as well but if you can as a user see the correlation between your sleep quality your blue light exposure and uh basically your uh, your stress levels eventually uh, and that would be a good amount of validation for a lot of people to understand how to make the best use of light for themselves. Um, so I think those are the ones that we can potentially talk about. Yeah. Incredible, incredible. And what's uh, what's the next year for you guys? Where are you at uh, when we speak in a year from today? I think definitely a lot of push, a uh, lot of uh, focus around our own hardware. Um, um and uh, um i think the um what we would want to do is uh, the community of users that we have we call them cyborgs the community of cyborgs that we have um, um basically we have more information that they can use on themselves more real time information on themselves so mm -hmm. um we we are we are actually focused on that group of 100000 revolutionary people revolutionary cyborgs who can take the first stab at essentially becoming the best version of themselves by using technology. And uh, in that journey, one year from now, we believe that we'll at least be 30 to 50% done. Uh, that's what we're aiming for. Uh, that uh, and, and then beyond that, of course, when you have a large community, you can go for millions of people. But then to have a close-knit community of 100,000 people who believe in... Um, believe in the science and believe in working with you to improve this that's what we would love to get to first that'll be our 
next one year focus, uh, if I can say that. Fantastic. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for this. And uh, we speak soon.